0: So the question becomes is how well do I want to know God? How much do I want to know of God? Because I would venture to say and this, this, uh, uh, while there's no one particular verse that would say this, I do believe that scripture as a whole holds this up, that the closer I want to get to God, the more I may have to sacrifice in my own life. Because we see uh, people that as they walk with God, as they get closer to him, uh, the, the greater the sacrifice is within their own lives. And here we have Abraham. We have Abraham, a man that has already been tested, that has already followed after God, that has already done uh, the will of God up until this point. Yes, there's been faults, there's been failures, there's been mistakes, and yet he is now faced with this ultimate challenge. And yet after this point, he will never have known God so much as he does through the path to Moriah. It's interesting to see as well that the sacrifice that Abraham made the whole thing about it was a very personal sacrifice. And let me just say the road to Mariah is a personal sacrifice. You see, it becomes easy for us to pawn things off nowadays. It becomes easy for us uh, to, to even pawn stuff off on the church. I think the church should do this. I think somebody should do this. I think it's easy to pawn stuff off on other people because we live in an age where we all know it. It's the age of unresponsibility. Right, nobody takes responsibility for anything. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always, some, it's always somebody else's problem, and that bleeds over from our culture into our walk with God. And before long, we can feel God speaking to us to tell, uh, speaking to us to give a sacrifice, saying, "You know what? I, I, I'm putting a road less traveled before you. If you'll travel it, there's an outcome that you'll be very happy with. However, there's going to be sacrifice involved, and we can pawn that off." Onto other people, we can pawn off what we should be praying onto the prayers of other people. We can pawn off what God should be speaking to us personally, coming through other people. You know, it's important for us to realize that that the only the words that I hear from God should not just come on a Sunday. There may have to be a little bit of sacrifice in my own life, a little bit of study in my own life, a little bit of communication with God in my own life, and I can't just rely on what I hear on a Wednesday and a Sunday to get me through life and get me to where I say I want to be in God. In verse 3, and I'm reading this from the New King James, it's a little bit slightly different, but I read this verse and I thought, well, I'll just read the verse. So Abraham rose early in the morning, he saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. I found this verse interesting because Abraham was extremely wealthy. In fact, we know he was wealthy and he took two servants with him on this journey. And yet, Abraham did everything that was necessary for the sacrifice, he didn't pawn anything off. Abraham got his own donkey ready. I'm sure there's been many trips that abraham took when he said you know what go get the horses ready Go get the donkey ready and his servants would take care of that for him He was a wealthy man And yet on this particular occasion He got his own stuff together because what god had called him to do was something personal that he could not pawn off on anybody else He also went and split his own wood That doesn't seem like a very big point uh But he could have had somebody else split wood. I mean, if it was me, I would have had Isaac do it. (laughs) That would have been a little cruel. Cut the wood for your own sacrifice too. But he cut cut the wood himself. He went out and he got the axe. He he got whatever uh, wood he had laying around and he split the wood that he was going to sacrifice his own son on. That is committing to the sacrifice. That is taking a personal investment in what God is asking you to do. Well, God's called me to do this. If somebody would just do this for me, if somebody would just uh, give me this, if somebody would just pour this into me. No, Abraham realized that what God was asking him to do on this road less traveled was something he was going to have to walk by himself. It was something that he was going to have to invest in himself and invest in the sacrifice personally. And to me, uh, verse 4 says uh, that they, 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 they went on for three days. And then Abraham lifted up his eyes, which again, the parallel between um, Jesus and he was in the grave for three days and all this st- kind of stuff. But to me, that seems like that would have been the absolute torture. Now, there's some things that you do that you have to think about. I don't know if you do, but I mean, there's some things, you know, ever just, you're doing something and your mind wanders? You ever been driving and just realized you didn't know where you, how you got where you were? <laughs> There's some things you can do that you can just let your mind go. Like when I'm cutting the grass, like my mind can be a million miles away. One reason why is because it's pretty hard to destroy the grass. You know, I did destroy the mower, but it's pretty hard to destroy the grass. I hit the tree pretty hard and bent my deck all up. Uh, I should have been concentrating there. There's some things, though, that I don't let my mind wander because I know bad things could happen if I just let my mind wander. Uh, When I paint, I don't let my mind wander. When I'm using a saw and I'm cutting something, I don't let my mind wander. I'm not thinking about all this kind of stuff because I know myself, and it's very, very high possibility that I could cut my hand off while my mind's wandering. I have to concentrate on what I'm doing. There's certain things that uh, I I don't split a lot of wood because I don't burn wood, but I have split wood before, and that's one thing, of course, maybe I should be more careful, that my mind kind of wanders a little bit. That's a little bit dangerous because I am holding an axe and you know a variety of things. But it's something that you, you know, you can just kind of let your mind wander. And you end up in some crazy place sometimes in your mind. And in my own mind, if I was going to split wood, my mind would begin to wander. Especially if I know that I'm having to sacrifice my son. And then not only that, he has to travel for three days. Three days. So he's prepared everything. Knowing that he's going to sacrifice his son. And then he has to travel for three days. And during those three days, what's the only thought in his mind? I'm traveling to sacrifice my son. And yet at no point in this, we don't find that Abraham asked for something else. We don't find that he delayed the sacrifice. We don't find once, and this amazes me. Not once did Abraham ask for confirmation. Have you ever had the Lord speak to you and you just, as soon as he speaks to you, you say, Lord, I want that confirmed. (laughs) And it's just like, go pray for someone at the altar. Lord, confirm that for me. Let Let the subs over there just explode and I'll go pray for him. And Abraham's been asked to offer his son. He just says, the Lord speaks to him, he says, here I am. That's all he says to God. Here I am. Now, I don't know what was going through his mind. I don't know what was going through his thoughts but he didn't ask for any confirmation. He traveled for 3 days before God even spoke to him again. 3 days. I would want God speaking to me every minute of those 3 days saying, "You know what? What you're doing right. I told you to do it." I'd want specific conver- uh, con- conversation and confirmation. I want reassurance that what I'm doing right and it wasn't bad pizza or curried goat I ate the night before because it was Abraham and I'm sure he ate curried goat. But I wonder how many times in those three days where God did not speak to him again, how many times he almost talked himself out of what he had heard. I know how many times I've talked myself out of stuff, or almost talked myself out of stuff. I wonder how many times he did that. But no, he was committed to the sacrifice. He had committed himself to the road. He had committed himself to the journey. And this was a man, really, the road to Moriah is a road of trust. Road of trust and there's going to be moments in our life when God calls us to trust beyond what seems reasonable There's going to be moments in our life when God calls us to trust Even though it seems like God has said something that goes against what he's already said before There's going to be moments in our life when we are called on to trust Even though the promises or words that God has spoken to us seem to be in direct opposition to what God is saying and, the, the, and I got to hurry up here because, I, I, man, this just is not going to work doing two things at once. So I'm going to move on from the trust. Let's just move on. Let's do a trust fall. How about that? Brother Frankie's going to do a trust fall. All right. The other thing that amazes me about this story is in, in, in staying with the trust is that while, uh, while I've heard different things said, Abraham didn't really know what was going on. In in verse 1 it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. This was written after the fact. You see, that's the benefit we have of reading the Bible. We know the outcome. Abraham did not know what was happening when God said, uh, Abraham, now how many of you would like God to call your name? Man, we'd love that. He knows my name all that kind you know, I'm a friend of God, all, we get all that, I, he knows who I am, hey, do you know how many hairs I really have? He, he called Abraham by name. Abraham said, yeah, here, here I am, yeah, man, this is going to be good, God's speaking to me, this is going to be good. And then we see the story unfold. But Abraham is in the story, he doesn't know what's going to happen. And while I've heard people surmise and say different things based upon what Abraham says to the servants, he says, me and the boy are going up up to worship and we'll be back to you in a little bit, Abraham didn't know that. My own personal opinion is, he didn't say to his servants, I'm off to sacrifice my son because I think the servants might have had something to say about it. You're going to go kill your son. Uh, You might want to hold on just a minute here. Something seems, look, God told you to kill your son? And in fact, we read uh, in, in later verses in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us uh, in verse 17 through eight, 19, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promise had offered up his only begotten son. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. You see, Abraham did not believe necessarily that God was going to have him stop before he killed his son. The New Testament tells us, and this is what they believed and the authors of the New Testament believed, and what we get actually from when we read the story this way, is that Abraham was counting on killing his son and then God raising him from the dead. But he had faced the fact that I'm going to have to actually kill my son. He thought that God was a healer at this point. He thought that god could raise the dead And so he was counting on what he currently knew of god He doesn't know what's going to happen He doesn't know that an angel's going to speak right before he kills his son and says stop He doesn't know that's going to happen If it was me and I thought that way i'd be like, you know, because I know the story of abraham So if god tells me to do that, i'll be like, okay, I know what god's going to do. I know what's going to happen Yeah, i'm just pulling the knife out. Okay. All right, god I know what's going to happen in this story. But Abraham doesn't know that. He doesn't know that there's going to be a ram caught in the thicket. He is prepared. He has given himself. He is committed to the path of Moriah completely. He is holding nothing back. And a lot of times, because we know the outcome of the story, sometimes I think that's a detriment to us. Because we know the outcome of a lot of these Bible stories, uh, that, that almost hurts us. Because a lot of times when God calls us to sacrifice something that we really don't want to sacrifice, a lot of times when God says, I want you to do this, we go into it expecting God to get us out of it. That wasn't the point. Well, yeah, I'll give it up and God will give it back to me. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over that's what we expect. We know the end of the stories. Well, yeah, I'll step in the fire and there'll be a fourth one in the fire. They didn't know that before they stepped in the fire. Abraham didn't realize what was going to happen. And too many times we go into it without the attitude that Abraham had of he was actually going to sacrifice. I wonder how many times in my own life that God's called me to sacrifice something, God's called me to do something, and I've just done it half-heartedly because I know, well, in the end, God's just going to give it back to me. No. The point of the test was to see if Abraham would actually do it. The point of the test was to see if, if Abraham would actually give himself over to it. And so he goes into it thinking that God's a healer. He goes into it thinking, well, yeah, uh, I'm going to lose my son. I'm going to have to kill my son. But I hope that I believe that God can raise him from the dead. But the point of Moriah was to take him to a different place. The point of Moriah was not to end up as a place of suffering. It was not supposed to end as his greatest defeat. It was not supposed to end as his greatest sorrow. But it was to take him to a new mountaintop. It was to take him somewhere closer to God in Genesis chapter 22 and verse uh, 15 says, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham, oh, sorry, verse 14, I apologize. said, and Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The Lord will provide. We know that as Jehovah Jireh. You see, when he left the mountain that day, he knew that God was more than a healer. He knew that God was more than even just someone who could raise from the dead. He received a whole new revelation of who God was that nobody had had up until that moment. He knew that the Lord will provide. And let me just say this, and I'm not saying that God doesn't provide in every situation and in every circumstance, but Abraham was not faced with the situation where he had a bunch of bills to pay and he couldn't pay them. And he said, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord's my provider. Now, I understand, I believe that the Lord can provide in those situations, but I want you to understand how Abraham got to the revelation that God is a provider. He got to it through sacrifice. He got to it through sacrifice. That means that he gave something up and the Lord brought it back to him. The bill sitting on my counter is not me giving up anything. It's just my electric and my power bill and, and my, how many times I flush the toilet. So I think it's important for us to realize on this road that God is calling, he will call us to places of sacrifice sometimes. He will call us to places uh, that are higher than where we are now. But the reason he's doing it is to give us a fresh revelation, a fresh purpose. And so I would challenge people that when the opportunity to sacrifice comes your way, when you feel God calling you to uh, sacrifice an unusual and different way, to follow the path to Moriah. You see, because while it's a detriment sometimes to us that we know the outcome, it's also a benefit because we can see the outcome of where the road is leading. That God is not leading us on a pointless journey. That God is not out to destroy us. That God is not out to uh, do bad things to us. But God is leading us somewhere. I challenge you to take the road less traveled, the road of trust. And I'm going to really try and do this very quickly. The next one. A Road Less Traveled is a traditional name. It's not the actual name of the, of the road, but its tradition has given it this name. And it's the Via Dolorosa. How many of you know Sandy Patty's song? I will sing it for you now. <laughs> On the view. No. Okay. I had practiced that in the mirror a few times. but This is the road that led from the Roman Praetorium. To Golgotha, the road that Jesus carried his cross on. It's not tradition. I mean, tradition has called it the Via Dolorosa. Tradition has placed the 14 stations of the cross. How many ever heard of the stations of the cross? Which I hadn't really looked to the stations of the cross too much. And it is definitely tradition. There's some crazy stuff. <laughs> I don't want to disparage something, but it's not true at all. Uh, as as you can see, if you read the stations of the cross, and it talks about Veronica, there's actually, Veronica was one of the stations on the cross. There was a lady that was standing there, and, and, and the station of the cross says that she offered Jesus her hanky. He wiped his face with her handkerchief and gave it back to her, and his face became imprinted on the handkerchief, and it is, can be seen in the Vatican today. That was Veronica, just in case you didn't know she was standing on the road that day. But the Via Dolorosa, and I'm not going to get into the physical aspect of what Jesus had to endure on this way, but this is a road that sometimes we will be called to, to walk. And I'm not speaking again, we are called to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, we're called to die daily. I'm going to take a slightly different uh, uh, track with this than that, because that is something that we all must do. We must all pick up our cross, we must all die daily, we must crucify ourselves with Christ. But on this road, and and it's amazing because the gospel authors don't even spend a lot of time on the physical suffering, many times when we look at this road, that is what we focus on. We focus on the scourgings, we focus on the crown of thorns, we focus on that aspect because we can't really even begin to comprehend the mental and emotional suffering that took place with this uh, journey that Jesus took. Well, and it's interesting to think about this road. It's interesting to think about this path that Jesus traveled. Because while definitely not the majority of people, there were many others who had walked this path that Jesus had walked before. Jesus did not blaze a new trail from the Praetorium to the Crucifixion. In fact, it was a road that several had traveled before. It was a road and a trail that was infamous for its destination and the reasons for that destination. In fact, it was a road that many thieves, many murderers, Many enemies of the state, as Jesus probably would have been labeled, had, been, had trod this same path. Jesus was not the first down this path. We find Jesus himself is lumped in with the common criminal. He's lumped in with the vial. In fact, if you had walked past the scene that day and you had seen Jesus on that road and you knew nothing of what was taking place, you knew nothing of this Jesus, I, I, I would venture to say there were some assumptions that could have been made. Now, I know nobody here ever assumes anything. You never see anything and just assume the worst or assume anything. But if I, if I'll say I, if I had walked past Jesus that day, knowing where he was going, seeing him carrying a cross, you know what I would have thought? There goes a thief. There goes a murderer. There goes someone who's getting what comes to them. You see, in that moment, every other person who had walked that way Their reputation became Jesus' reputation. It wasn't just that he lost his reputation. It was the fact that he took on the reputation of those others who had walked that way. He took on the reputation of a murderer. He took on the reputation of a common criminal. He took on, and scripture tells us in Isaiah, he made himself of no reputation. He lost his reputation. You see, the Via Dolorosa is a way that loses our reputation. It's something that we are willing to lose our reputation for. You see, because there's something about the cross, there's something about this road, there's something about this that, that it seems to have been missed in some form or fashion. In fact, the Via Dolorosa is translated the painful way into English. It's Latin. It's translated the painful way. It's a road that loses our reputation. It's a road that, that, that leads us to ground zero, if you would. It takes us all the way to nothing. And yet I think it's important for us to realize and to put this into our own life that Jesus did not do this for no reason. Now, that doesn't seem really earth-shattering. We know that Jesus died for us. But in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. So we have Jesus that is walking this path. We have Jesus that has willingly, because that was part of it, he had to willingly walk this path. He had to make a decision that this is what I'm going to do. He had to take a road that was less traveled. And I believe there's moments in our life when we are, traveled by this, we are challenged by this same road. This road involves no reputation. Hebrews chapter 12 says he despised the shame. That doesn't mean he hated what was happening to him. That means that the shame that was coming his way, he disregarded. That means the looks that were coming his way, he disregarded. That means the insults that were thrown his way, it didn't matter. And Hebrews chapter 12 gives us something very important to understand. That the reason that he did this, the reason that he despised the shame... The reason that he went through the physical suffering, the reason why he made himself of no reputation, was willing to look like a common criminal, the reason for all of this was for the joy that was set before him. That's why he endured the cross. Now, we know the joy that was set before him was the salvation of mankind, was, is the very reason that we sit here today. That's why he endured the cross. But I want you to catch something here this morning on this road, that this road involves enduring and enduring for a reason. You see, Jesus just didn't decide one day that I want to do this. He didn't just wake up and say, I want to be beaten. I want to be stripped of my reputation. I want to have shame thrown my way. I want to be crucified. He did not do that. No, he saw past all of that and he saw what would happen because of the cross. It was not just enduring because it was what he was supposed to do. And it wasn't just enduring because it was what was expected of him. It wasn't enduring because it was a duty or obligation that he had to fulfill. No, he saw a point past the cross that made him endure what he was going through. This is a road that involves suffering, that involves pain. My, uh, Mariah involves sacrifice. This is a road that involves suffering. It involves the, the losing of my reputation. But I'm doing it for a reason. So the question becomes in my life, what am I willing to endure for what reason? What am I willing to die for? <laughs> now, <laughs> we... <laughs> If we take inventory of our life, there's probably a lot of things we're doing right now that we definitely aren't worth, we're not ready to die for. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I know that, that Todd probably appreciates his job, but I don't think he's willing to die to be a forklift operator at NAL. I may be wrong. He, he may just, I mean, that may be it, crucify me on the, on, on the forklift. That, I don't know. And, and let me say this, let me say this, because uh, this is kind of like a, a, a movement that, that, you know, find your passion, find whatever. Let me just say that, that my, it's very difficult to live my entire life for something that I'm willing to die for. It's very, very taxing, Okay. In fact, a lot of people that that grab a hold of a cause and throw themselves into it very often have mental breakdowns, have nervous breakdowns, uh, burn themselves out. And so I'm not saying, I understand, uh, I'm not saying that my entire, every single day that I wake up, that, that I am consumed by this overwhelming, because you know what, 60 years of that really wears on a person. We're talking about roads less traveled. We're talking about a fork in the road where it may be for a moment of time. It may be for, it may even change. But at some point in my life, I feel like, it, I feel like there's a lot of people that live their life and have never once really given themselves to anything. Now, and, and we're kind of stuck right now between a generation that, um, uh, that their greatest attribute was faithfulness. And you know what? You didn't think about what you were going to do. Your dad got you a job in the factory where he worked, and 60 years later, or 50 years later, you retired from that job. You didn't have to like it. You didn't have to care about it. You just did it because that's what happened. And now we're in this, we're in this new one where, this new, where everything you do has to be about passion and desire and finding. And, and, and on the one hand, you should enjoy what you're doing. On the other, sometimes you just got to do stuff even though you don't enjoy it, right? Not, not every job that you have is going to fulfill your inner passion. <laughs> but you do have to eat. Eat. Okay, I think there might be a balance in there somewhere. And so uh, we're stuck between these two, but but I think it's important for us to understand that, that, there, that there are people that live their lives, and, and it's easy sometimes to see uh, from near the end. You see people talk about the end, and really what they're saying is, I wish I would have given my life to something more. I wish I hadn't just lived life. And again, I'm not saying... From, from the age of, uh, of 16, when you found your calling, you did whatever, to, the, to when you die, you're consumed. Every, now, again, because that's wearing. And in fact, who knows, but Jesus died when he was 33. He didn't continue that for 60 years. There was an end to what he came to do. But I would challenge people today, because I think this road confronts us every so often, that we are confronted with the road Where we have the choice to continue on this way or we have the choice to give ourselves to something. Even for a time. Jesus was willing to suffer. He was willing to die. He was willing to give everything. He was willing to lose his reputation. Not just because it was what was expected of him. Not just because it was just being faithful to what his dad wanted. Not just because it was an obligation no, he did it because there was a joy at the end. He was doing it for a reason. He was doing it for redemption. Well, well, yeah, I'd do it for redemption. No, he was doing it for a cause, for a purpose. When was the last thing that you ever gave yourself to? And only you can know what you've given yourself to. Only, only you know how much of yourself you've left behind in something. But what things in your life, as you look back over your life, what things in your life can you honestly say, I, this, this, or this? Is there one thing that you can say, I gave myself completely to that? I'm not talking about your family, because you're, that's, you're supposed to do that. I'm not talking about the Lord, because we're all called to, to crucify ourselves, so I'm not taking that track with that. I'm talking about something, some person, some, some cause, Obviously a righteous cause, not legalized marijuana or something like that. But here's the thing. His endurance was tied with his joy. I wonder sometimes if we never reach joy in our life because we're not willing to endure anything to get to it. He endured for the joy that was set before him. You see, we just think it's an easy path. We think it's something that we can just get to. Yeah, I'll do this and it'll be great. It'll be roses. No, we see the path that Jesus walked. It was a path of suffering. It was a path of all of these things. And we know what the crucifixion involved. It was all of these things. But the reason he did it, because there was a joy at the end. And I wonder sometimes if I look at my life and I, I think, well, man, what in my life is joyful right now? What in my life gives me pleasure, what in my life gives me happiness, what in my life maybe I should ask am I willing to suffer for, what is there that I care enough about to do something about it, and again, I, I, the, these, these points come to us at different times, you may not be in this position, this road may not be presenting itself to you right now, but I believe at some point in our life we are faced with the opportunity, we are faced with the choice to take the road less traveled and to give ourselves to something. I think for a lot of us, in our walk with God, unfortunately, the joy is lost and there's only endurance. You see, because that's, (laughs) I believe in faithfulness, I believe in faithfulness with all my heart. I, I, I faithfully believe in faithfulness. I believe in it. But you know what, there's a fine line between being faithful and drudgery. I know there's times in my life when I'm not going to feel like doing stuff, and I have to be faithful and do certain things, but I cannot live my life for God out of obligation. I can't do it. I can't live my life for God just simply out of duty. I can't live my life for God just simply uh, uh, trudging through and just... And I know, again, there's those moments when that's all I have and I cling to faithfulness and I just keep doing what I know that I'm supposed to do. But there must be moments in my life where joy has to be set before me. There has to be moments in my life when there's more than just putting one foot in front of the other. There has to be those moments. (laughs) In fact, it would seem for many of us that we are on, (laughs) we're killing ourselves for things but we're not willing to die for anything. How many of you think you've got enough time? (laughs) How many think you just have, you know? It's just how many wish you could have a little more time. You were a little less busy. You see, many of us are simply killing ourselves, and yet we have nothing that we're willing to die for. I think it's a challenge to all of us. And again, I I hope I'm making it clear that that burning passion is difficult to sustain. But this is a path. And you know what, that path will diverge again because life is full of choices, it's full of stages. But I would challenge you, if you have not come across this path, to pray about it. To pray, Lord, is there a joy that could be set before me? Lord, is there something that I'm missing? Lord, is there something that I may have to endure for? Lord, is there something that can be put in my path that I would say I'm willing to die for? People are willing to endure for all sorts of things. It's not something that has to be what everyone will be willing to endure for. It doesn't have to be a joy that everybody has. It doesn't, no, yours can be unique to yourself, but it's something that stirs something within you. In fact, one uh, writer called it a holy discontent, something that stirs inside of you, something that churns inside of you that says, I must do this. I have to do this. I believe there's paths that we all come across. I believe there's choices that we all face. These are two of them. The road to Moriah is a path that we are presented with It says trust. Trust in the face of everything. Trust despite uh, what is going on. And invest yourself in the sacrifice personally. Because when you invest, there's revelation. There's a closeness to God that you can't get any other way. I believe there's a path to joy. I believe that God can put things within us that cause us to be stirred, that cause us to be willing to endure. And I would say to you, although the path is difficult, because these are roads less traveled, they're not the easy way. I would challenge you to take the path less traveled. I would challenge you to be willing to step out, to be stirred for something, to be willing to sacrifice yourself for something. I want us to pray in closing this morning.